1: Welcome to Scrambled. I am your co-host, Nikki Shields, and this is episode 28.
0: And I'm Chad Douglas. Uh, Funny because we we like to be creative when we name these things. And there was a long text conversation about what we should name this episode. Then there was some actual face-to-face conversation, what we should name this episode. And we came up with what I think is the most creative one we've ever done, and it's simply unexpected coping skills. (laughs) Because sometimes you just keep it simple, stupid, right? It's fun to be catchy and cute and make everyone go, oh, how cute. But sometimes it's just like, hey, here's what we're talking about. And uh, this is what you're going to get from this episode. Fair?
1: Yep. Yep. That pretty much sums it up.
0: All right. So we wanted to label this a back to school uh, episode as we've done a couple in the past. This one, because there are some things I found surprising when we started going down this journey with my son's anxiety and talking to his school of things that can be done um, from the school, and then also things that he can do that surprisingly will help him. And one of the first things that comes to mind is doodling.
1: Yes, doodling is amazingly helpful. And many people do it sort of automatically without realizing that they're doing it. Anytime mm-hmm. I'm on the phone, on a difficult phone call, like I have pen and paper right there and I'm always doodling something silly. And But but if you look at kids who struggle with anxiety, their use of drawing can, I mean, it's a coping skill. You can kind of tell a lot from their doodles. Um, Sometimes they'll be really intense and like lots of like hard, you know, drawing or writing. And and that kind of indicates the mood they're in or how they're feeling at the time that they write it. But yes, doodling, drawing, anything like that can be really helpful. And I'm just gonna, I know we haven't probably gotten to this point in the episode yet, Chad, but I'm gonna throw one that's related to that right out there with that. And that is drawing concentric circles. So of course, the first time I heard it, I had to look up what that meant because look up concentric know, but,
0: yeah yeah, yeah. Like, what does that word
1: mean? <laughs> but um it's it's circles within circles so what i teach kids early on probably first second session is you know get pencils colored pencils pens markers anything where there's several different colors crayons doesn't matter keep it handy along with some paper and when you're feeling exceptionally anxious take a color draw a circle get another color draw another circle another color draw another circle around that and so you just you just keep doing that because what happens is the the mental energy that's needed to make that circle to pick your color to keep the other circle outside of the circle that you just drew it pulls your focus away from your fight or flight response and kind of gets you get you back into a calmer state of mind. And so I I find that I just after so many years of teaching that one, I do kind of just do that when I'm stressed. Mm-hmm. And so you can always kind of tell you look around the house, there's little little circles drawn everywhere. And it looks like Looks like crop circles or something, but on paper. But
0: I, was, I said maybe that's what crop circles are. People are anxious and they're out in like uh, wheat fields and they're just yeah. uh, drawing just the circles, circles
1: within circles. I don't know. But so <laughs> doodling, drawing, uh, making circles or any other shape, honestly, is is a really great way because you're by using your hands and putting focus into what you're drawing. You're taking some of that mental anxiety, you know, and the the discomfort in your brain, and you're kind of translating that to paper.
0: So can that, you said helps regulate anxiety. What about focus? If you're focused on those circles, are you then focusing in class as you're listening to the teacher speak?
1: Okay, so that's uh, an excellent point. I think it can be a yes and a no, depending on the child and the circumstances. So for me, if I'm on the phone with someone and I'm struggling to focus, or I feel myself escalating, and I need to calm down, those circles help me stay focused on what I'm Doing to help mm-hmm. me to stay focused on the conversation and kind of bring myself back down to like, you know, uh, C level, right? Uh, for, for some kids, that might, you know, if they're really into their artwork, if, you know, that kind of takes over their focus, it might distract from what they're listening to, but it's a whole lot better than a panic attack, you know? And so I think yeah. that, you know, you have to kind of weigh the pros and cons of each strategy um, because for some kids, it's going to help them stay in tune, right? For others, it might take them actually a little bit further away from what's going on in the
0: classroom. I will say just from experience, and obviously he's my son, so I can only speak to him, but he can focus on other things as he's doodling, as he's drawing. He's actually a pretty talented little artist too, which is kind of cool. So he'll doodle, but it's like, Hey, cool. You drew stitch from Lilo and Stitch. And you listened to what I was saying because I've asked you questions. You've repeated it. I mean, I've told yeah. a story in the past about how that day at church I lost my cool when we got in the car because he was under the pew and everything. And then I said, you know, what was the sermon about? And he was able to tell me, I was like, mm-hmm. Oh, great.
1: Yeah. We're really good at multitasking, but we we have to kind of monitor ourselves and see if that multitasking is helping or if it's making things worse. And so in the case of doodling, drawing, you know, using that as a coping skill for anxiety, I, I think it's a really good thing to try. Um, and I've taught families to kind of just leave drawing supplies on the coffee table, on the nightstand in different places where it might come in handy. And um, the thing about teaching a child to do that is you don't want to make it a whole like, okay, I'm going to teach you a coping skill and we're going to draw these circles, you know, because they're going to roll their eyes and not be interested at all. But The next time that you're really stressed, if you get out your markers or your pens or your colored pencils and you start drawing concentric circles, you know, and your kids are there, they're going to see that and they're going to want to draw circles, too. And so now they've had this experience of like doing this thing and they probably regulated them and they didn't even realize, you know, what was happening. And so you can say, wow, that really helped me, you know, and maybe they pick it up, too. So anytime you're going to teach that as a skill, you almost want it to be like in the moment, not like a lesson.
0: Gotcha, and kind of a silly question, but why is it important for a child to begin to self regulate themselves, especially if they're in a place like church or school, so they don't go into a panic attack?
1: Well, it's not a silly question by any means, but it is a much bigger question <laughs> than than I can probably answer briefly, but i you know one of the most important skills we can learn as a human is self regulation and and i it starts you know from birth and that process continues and all the way through the lifespan, so you know learning anything that can help you kind of recheck yourself after a moment of panic or a moment of like emotional upset I just I think super handy to have on board um, and so if you can teach everyday activities and this is why we we wanted to do this episode is like what are things you can do at school mm-hmm. at home mm-hmm. in lots of different settings that actually work and so this is a big one because you can pretty much do that anywhere and, and something we might get into a little bit later is you know if you know that's your child's method and you know that works for them, you may want to communicate with the teacher a little bit about that yeah. because you don't want them to interpret it as distraction and and have it become like a disciplinary issue.
0: Yeah. And a little later, we're going to bring in a, an educator to talk about, it's all well and good for us to come in here and be like, do this, 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 and this, to self-regulate. And then that educator is going to be like, oh, hold on, that could be a distraction to the rest of the class. So it's it's finding that happy medium and having good conversation, good communication um, with the school system. That's right. What else can help? I know we've talked about something simple as chewing gum.
1: Yes. So that's that's a really big one. And and you know what, when I was in school, you know, gum was like an absolute no-no and you, oh, yeah. you might have the rare teacher or the rare day where it was like, yep, okay, you can chew gum today, but as a rule, that was not. <laughs> not an option, but I'm seeing more classrooms today where, you know, there's probably some science out there that has encouraged this, but teachers that are like, it's fine. As long as you're not blowing bubbles and distracting your classmates, you can chew gum. And so you have to kind of find out what the rules are in your kid's Mm -hmm. class at their school that kind of thing. Um, but chewing gum helps and it, it, it's just, it's a soothing behavior and the act of of physically chewing on something can help work out underlying anxiety and help with focus too. Also, um, the mint or the flavor, whatever that that is can help kind of keep people alert and help keep them focused in a way as well.
0: Oh, like peppermint. Mm -hmm. Yep. Kind of keeps you awake. And I got to think too, one of the obvious ones is going to be like a fidget toy of some sort. I know in, in my son's experience, it's been fidget toys are fine as long as they don't make a noise. So then it's hard to find a fidget toy that doesn't make a noise.
1: Yeah, because a lot of them are noisy. Likes.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah, the ones that are most satisfying to typically <laughs> click or whiz or whatever. Yeah. And so um, – and you know what? Fidget toys have, have... – <laughs> They change. There's a new fad every year. And I remember the year of the fidget spinners and how like I I had at least like three requests a week to write letters to the school saying it was okay for their child to have a fidget spinner. And I'm just going to tell you, I put my foot down aggressively because there are Mm -hmm. lots and lots of ways for your child to be able to cope effectively. But I'm not going to advocate for one particular type because there are good reasons not to have fidget spinners in the classroom. Now they work really well for some kids and I think they've been made safer over the years. So I'm not, I'm not, downing the fidget spinner altogether, but it's just been funny to me to kind of watch what, what takes the hold the
0: evolution but, of it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Cause now it's uh poppets, you know, yeah. with the little, you know, buttons that pop in. So I, honestly, you, you really just have to find out what the, the school or the teacher will allow because there are some really great fidgets that are perfectly quiet and helpful. Um, but you have to experiment.
0: Nikki, what else do you have for us?
1: Well, another one that kids tell me is really helpful to them is to have a bottle of water with them. And I, you know what, generally speaking, I think it's a good idea. There's a lot of really, you know, cool water bottles out there that don't have to be distracting that, you know, if, if taking a drink of water helps to calm someone, I don't think that's bad. And I I think a lot of classrooms, I mean, I've seen uh, water bottles on school supply lists. I've seen, Hey, Mm -hmm. please send a water bottle with your kid every day. So I don't think that you know it's problematic. And in most situations, you can take a bottle of water with you. And uh, for a lot of kids who are struggling with anxiety, it, it may become a security object. Now, there are some sort of disadvantages to that because you don't want it to be such a rigid thing that your child will only use a certain kind of bottle. And if that bottle breaks or that, you know, it doesn't work or they lose it or they leave it at school and, you know, you want to kind of vary it. So it's a different bottle. And um, you also want to try periods of time without it. But for a lot of kids, especially if, if, you know, they're really, you know, struggling in the classroom, just having a bottle of water on their desk can make a big difference. Yeah.
0: And I think a lot of school districts are requesting them to bring in water bottles Mm -hmm. because it cuts on less time. Going out of the class to get a yes. drink. It probably ups the amount of bathroom visits they have yes. to make, but it's it like certainly kids does. are not going, I need a drink, I need a drink because yeah. the water bottle's right there. Cool. Something you would have talked about earlier was saying it out loud. Is that just a matter of recognizing I'm getting anxious? And if I tell the mm-hmm. teacher I'm getting anxious, that kind of puts it out in the universe?
1: Yeah. So, with this one, what I mean is, you know, if a lot of times it's Instinctive to kind of keep your worries to yourself. I mean, I can remember being in second grade and worrying about things, and no one knew that I was worrying because I was kind of embarrassed. There was just this sense of like, I can't tell anybody about that. They'll think I'm weird, you know? And so I think a lot of kids hold on to worries because maybe they don't know how to put it into words. Maybe they think somebody's going to think they're weird or they think they're the only one that feels that way. So one of the things that I try to teach kids is like, whatever it is, say it out loud. You're not alone somebody out there has had that thought or had that worry. And probably someone you know very well has that worry on a regular basis. And so just kind of teaching kids that even though your inclination or your your instinct might be like to, to bottle it up, you know, make sure nobody finds out about it, just saying it. And as, as a grown up, like I use that regularly. If something's just nagging at me and I can feel my anxiety escalating, I know that one of the first things I need to do is find a trusted person and just say it out loud. And it's almost mm-hmm. like it takes the power out of it. It's almost like it moves it from inside my thoughts and inside my head, you know, to the outside world where it seems a little bit more manageable. And so I think that's a really important thing to model for kids um, and also, you know, illustrate and, and suggest to them. And so the conversation might be like, Hey, it looks like you're having some pretty big worries. Would you like to say any of them out loud? You know, and creating, in a safe space in which they can do that um, at school or at home, both can make a big difference in how they manage their day.
0: Interesting. And so simple. Mm -hmm. I do know in, uh, in talking to my son about things, if I'm starting to get frustrated and and just through therapy and stuff, I've learned that he asks, you know, are you mad at me? Are you mad at me? And and so if you just, you're honest be like, right now, I'm getting frustrated because of this. He'll back off because it's like I've put those feelings out instead of me being like, no, no, I'm not mad at you, and da 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 da. It's it, it's a matter of yeah, I'm getting a little frustrated right now, so mm-hmm. we need to take a break.
1: Honestly, if, if we share how we feel, we have the power to do something about it. And I mean, I pick on my husband about that sometimes. If he's if he seems tense about something, I'll I'll. I'm maybe not the nicest about it, but I mean, Hey, I wonder, maybe you could say it out loud, you know, share it with someone. I don't know, maybe unburden yourself, you know, but we'll joke about it. But the, the truth of it is regardless of your age and where you are in life, um,
0: if you can just voice it, sometimes it comes down a little. I, th- I think we just solved the world's problems, Nikki.
1: Uh, yeah, we did.
0: Yeah. What about things like tapping?
1: I'm going to answer this question in the most complicated way possible. Are you ready? Perfect. Okay, great. There is a whole type of therapy called EFT okay, and it involves tapping. I am not trained in it. I do not know much about it, but mm-hmm. I know a lot of really great therapists who use it and a lot of kids who use it and have found success. I cannot speak to the how or the why of it. I just sure. have never had that opportunity to learn about that yet. If you're talking about that type, you know, where it's like a therapeutic yeah, method that kids can learn. I, I think it's a great thing to look into. It's something to ask your therapist about, but I, I can't tell you a whole lot about it.
0: Yeah. And that's the thing. I just, it happened to just pop into my head because if you're sitting there and you start to feel nervous and you can tap on your leg, it's not making a noise. It's not being distracted. Mm -hmm. For the most part, I would think that if, if that's a way to quell your anxiety, then great. Um,
1: and I've heard that, that you, they, they tap on like certain parts, certain, uh, pressure points and that, that alleviates some tension. And yeah. So again, I, I think if you have interest, that's something to look into. There are lots of therapists that are trained to provide that uh, kind of training. And I just, I haven't ventured into it, but I would love to know more.
0: Off of that, then another one that I'm gonna throw you for a loop for because I just see them on social media, and we talked about the water bottles are calming strips, things you can put on your water bottle, on your notebook, and you can just sit there and kind of rub it and feel it, and it calms you down.
1: Yeah, I'm grinning like a goofball right now because I want one. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've seen such cute ones; they've got like little outer space designs and like rainbows and different, you know things that are right up my alley.
0: Well, I well, have well, no well, idea. What, I what, we need to put our logo on some calming strips.
1: Yes. <laughs> <We> do <laughs> Right. I'll work on that.
0: Okay,
1: uh, But yeah, no, I've seen these. A couple of my colleagues have them. Um, I see them advertised and I keep thinking, oh, I should buy one. And then I don't. And then I'll see them again. Oh, I can't believe I didn't buy that yet. And then I don't again. So I don't, I don't know what the holdup is, but I think they look fun and there might very well be some effectiveness there. It, you mm-hmm. know, I, I think much like, uh, you know, the fidgets and the other things that we get, uh, it's going to work for some people and not for others. But I do know that rubbing a stone or a rock or yeah. even the surface of the table or kind of scratching your fingers on things, those are all like self-soothing behaviors that people engage in. And so if there's like a, a what did you call it?
0: Calming strip. It?
1: Calming strip. That's it. Mm-hmm. I can think of the term uh, on my keyboard. I assure you, I would be messing with it all day. So, um, I'm going to say I support them and I'll, I'll go ahead and buy one and, and do a little research. How's that? Sound? Even,
0: even though you haven't done it, um, speaking of which I'm totally, I'm totally like derailing everything here, but we had talked a couple episodes ago about reviewing podcasts <laughs> and you failed to do that assignment. Have you completed that assignment? I
1: even did, though it's and late? I, I, so I used the method I used to use in college. If I missed a class or, or, you know, didn't, didn't do what I thought I was supposed to do, I would then go and like overdo it to yeah. kind of compensate for my slacking. And so I reviewed five oh. different podcasts.
0: So the assignment was two. So a little I overachiever. Yeah. So you I Tardy edit. overachiever. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Better late than never. But I felt really good about it. And mm-hmm. it was kind of fun um, because I, I had to really think, like, what do I like about? Why do I listen to this? What, yeah. is, what is what is the point of, of, you know, when I'm listening, what am I getting out of that? And so it was really fun. So I recommend it to everyone.
0: Very nice. Okay, so you can uh, review us as well where you listen to your podcast. Specifically, I think uh, Apple Podcasts is the one all the the podcasts I listen to. They say, review us on Apple Podcasts. So there you go. You know, Nikki, one thing that worked for my son, at least in elementary school, was like just removing himself from the situation. He was given one to two safe places he could go that if he was feeling overwhelmed, he could leave the classroom without being disruptive and go to a safe place in the school and try to re-regulate himself. And staff were okay with that.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. I love that method. I mean, basically that's a change of scenery and something that any person of any age could use um, to to re-regulate after a moment of upset, after, you know, feelings of panic, that kind of thing. And so, you know, if if I'm getting, (laughs) this isn't, I wasn't exactly like panicked, but I was definitely overwhelmed. Um, I was helping the kids to clean up their playroom. Um, and I was just filled with rage. You know how you get when you sounds see like, that sounds
0: awful. <laughs>
1: it, was, it was horrible, like Play-Doh ground of the carpet and things that you remember buying broken yeah. because they just didn't get picked up, you know? And it was just like that, that moment of like, oh my gosh. So anyway, um, change of scenery. I went outside, you know, I breathed in the hot lava air cause it was really <laughs> hot yesterday and I, um, you know, it's just different things to look at, different things to think about. It, and it just, that brought me back to Earth and I was able to come back in and regroup and get back to it. So, like anytime your emotions are escalated, regardless of what sort of emotion they are, uh, changing the room you're in, going outside. If you're outside, go inside. If you're hot, get cooler. If you're cooler, get hotter. You know, anything that just kind of changes your environment is going to make a big difference in helping you to re regulate.
0: Here's another kind of odd question for you. And when I, had the idea to start this podcast, I immediately thought of you because of your sense of humor. And I knew that you would be able to talk about a serious topic, but do it lightheartedly. So how much does humor play into your role as a therapist? And how much can humor help, I guess, re-regulate anxiety?
1: So I, I think humor plays maybe too big of a part in, in my role as a therapist. <laughs> but I, certain certain clients over the years might suggest that, that was that was too much of it. But no, I, I think humor is a really important part of working with difficult emotions because it's, it's sort of, I don't, I don't know, is, is humor the opposite of some other emotion? I don't know. To me, it feels like all of the good feelings combined. And so if you can take yourself out of like, well, like me yesterday in my, you know, fury and rage.
0: I was just thinking when you said you breathe in like the hot lava air, it just kind of made me chuckle. And I was like, uh, let's talk about humor. And they say yeah. laughter is the best medicine, right? It
1: really is. And, and if you're, you know, lonely, sad, you're crying, you, you feel like everything is horrible and you pull up like one of those websites where, you know, autocorrect.com or what is it? (laughs) Darn you autocorrect.com or something like that. But it's like, text errors. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what's going on for me. I read a couple of those and I am just overcome with laughter. And I don't know about you, but I would much rather laugh than cry. And But like yeah. humor has its place, but you also have to feel that other stuff too. And I, I think if you're really good at finding things that are funny and spending time in that space, then it's easier to experience the hard emotions too. It's just like a different end of that same emotional spectrum. And so for kids, the, the way that we, I try to use humor is teaching them that, you know, funny jokes can pull them out of a foul mood. Funny jokes can help other people come out of a bad mood. And so, you know, I, I've taught kids to say, Hey, have you heard any good jokes lately? I'm feeling really anxious right now. And that would help me or, Hey, I heard a good joke. I'm going to share it with you. And both of those activities can, can kind of like help kids utilize humor to get back out of a funk. So for adults and kids alike, I just, I think humor has, has to be part of it.
0: Yeah. I mean, it releases those endorphins and stuff and they Swim all around and make you make you happy. You just have to know how to use it. I remember once in I was in seventh grade, and I tell my son this story all the time to where it's almost to the point where he's rolling his eyes, being like, "Yeah, Dad, I got it." It was in seventh grade, and not an anxious kid at all, but I was making like little comments and things, and I was getting good response from the kids, and they were laughing. And the teacher called me out in the hallway, and she was like, "I I appreciate your sense of humor, and it's good and great and encouraging, but it's very distracting to the class, and it's mm-hmm. hard for me to teach what I'm trying to teach." And I got it. I mean, it was a simple conversation. She told me how she felt and I was like, I got it. I don't think I said I'm sorry because I was like 13, you know, yeah. went back in and then I I didn't do it anymore. But that was one mm-hmm. thing that kind of stuck with me and maybe helped me because sometimes I'll I'll throw out something in a meeting and then I was mm-hmm. like, oh, yep, probably shouldn't have said that. Um, <laughs> but it's like, it's a it's a skill to that's great to have and it's great mm-hmm. to make people laugh, but you got to know your time and place. You got to know how to read a room.
1: That's exactly it's right. Very and important. it's- that can be very fun to watch young kids who who we think are going to grow into really funny kids, but mm-hmm. like for several years, they're not really sure how to do it. Right. They, yeah. Their jokes don't land or they can't read the crowd. They're just, they're just not, you know, they don't have it quite figured out, but you just know someday they're going to nail it and they're going to be hilarious. And so that's really cool. But like what you said, there's a time and a place. And you know, when you're, when you're learning to be a counselor, like there's a, there's a whole conversation or, or class about that. Like, you know, know when to use humor and know when not to, because it can be very harmful. You know, and yes. you, you can see where in a really intense therapy session, there's moments where it would make a big difference, and there's other moments where it would just definitely derail progress. So, like anything else, it it has its place. Um, but it's a great way to kind of change your mood. And so I always, you know, have kids like, "What's the funniest video you've ever seen?" What's the, you know, I have a friend who loves to watch, like TikToks of people falling down. It just just gets her laughing every time. And so like that's her go-to when she's stressed ha- and has had a rough day. She'll watch a bunch of those kind of TikToks and it just it just brings her back out of it. So I teach kids to find that thing that gets them every single time, keep it somewhere, and it's just one more tool in their toolbox.
0: Very nice. But it's, again, probably hard to use in the classroom effectively, mm-hmm. but it's, mm-hmm. a, it's a good tool to have in your toolbox. Mm-hmm. I, I got to think, too, like flexible seating. You see the exercise balls mm-hmm. where the kids can get and then kind of hop up and down, which can get a little disruptive as well if it's a little too much, but that type of stuff or, or some sort of exercise, some sort of movement Mm -hmm. should help you shake it.
1: Much like humor, uh, movement is, is the cure for lots of things. And so, you know, one of the, one of the first things I recommend to anybody who's coming in with depression or anxiety, that's just been super overwhelming is get moving. And the problem Mm -hmm. is that like, it's, it feels kind of just like, you know, talking about it or saying something out loud, like it feels a little counterintuitive. The, your, your brain wants you to like, you know, vegetate and be, you know, to yourself and sort of hide out and hibernate. But like what your body needs you to do is just move. And exercise is the, I I will say it as somebody who is not a huge fan of exercise, it is the (laughs) single best way to reduce anxiety. You know, if you are just in your head, stuck, frustrated, anxious, panicked, and you take a walk, you are going to feel better. Maybe not, the problem might not be solved. You may not feel perfect, but it's going to bring that anxiety down to a manageable level. So you talked about like, Flexible seating in the classroom and some yeah. of those kinds of things. Those are great, you know? And I, back to the beginning of the episode when we were talking about water bottles and that kind of thing, it got me thinking a lot of times when kids were saying, can I go get a drink of water? They weren't saying I'm thirsty. They weren't dehydrated. They were saying, I need a break. I need to be away from this. And so by having water bottles on their table, they're getting fewer opportunities to move their body or kind of Mm. change scenery, kind of some of the trips, you know, tips that we've talked about. And so, but it's important to have that kind of movement and the, the best teachers I know incorporate movement into lesson plans. And so it's not just sitting at your desk all day long, but for adults and kids alike, move it. You know what, and it doesn't matter what the activity is. Anything that gets you physically moving is going to help every time.
0: Okay, Nikki, what else you got? (laughs) Math. Uh, Heck to the no. (laughs) Moving on. (laughs) Math would make me anxious. Math does not always true. Math makes me feel dumb.
1: Math has gotten a bad rap on our our podcast. We we have we have dissed math a lot, but
0: good reason. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, there's is
0: no, there is no there's no way you will convince me that math is a good way to quell anxiety.
1: Okay, and I've used no. quell
0: twice in this episode.
1: <laughs> that's That's got to be some kind of record.
0: i I going to get a thesaurus.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, so here's the deal. And it doesn't – so this particular trick does not have to be math. And for yours truly, it's not going to be math. Um, okay. It would be something different, but but uh, the the science behind this particular one is that when you do something that requires some thought and some like problem solving, you're mm-hmm. using the front of your brain, right? Okay. And your fight okay. or flight response is coming from the base of your brain, from your brain stem. So when you are venturing into panic, when you're having a really hard time, uh, you and you kind of get your mind going on some kind of problem solving skill, you tend to be able to short circuit short circuit that fight or flight response. Right. So for me, it's not very often going to be math because I just I don't enjoy that space. But uh, for a lot of kids, it is it's just doing their times tables or, you know, some basic addition and subtraction. I'm going to use like state capitals or, you know, so I'm going to match states to their capitals or I'm going to spell complicated words out loud um, or I'm going to recite some kind of fact. You know what I mean? So when you're working with kids and you see them escalating, you, you don't want to make a thing of it. You just want to kind of quietly ask the question, you know, what's three plus three? You know, what happens when you mix red and blue, you know, you, you want to do something that, you know, they know, because that just sort of jolts them into using their frontal lobe, which can help kind of shut down the anxiety. And so, um, you just kind of have to know what your kid feels really like skilled at and what they enjoy Uh talking about. And that can kind of help. Um, I'm, I didn't get permission to share this, so we may have to edit this out later, Chad, but, um, my husband was driving in the mountains on our vacation and, uh, learned while driving in the mountains that he does not at all, like to drive in the mountains. And so he, you know, his, his anxiety was escalating as we were also escalating. And so he was like, talk to me, ask me questions, bring up stuff. It doesn't matter what it is. Let's just talk. And so he, he's never heard me talk about this particular trick, but he instinctively knew that if he was thinking and interacting that it would reduce this anxiety. And so um, that's a really good trick. It's just you sort of forcing yourself to do frontal lobe activities or problem solving activities to kind of help reduce that panic response in the back of your
0: brain. Yeah, you're like, let me pull my fingertips out of the dashboard and uh, then we'll go. Because, <laughs> you know, you're probably in that fight or flight mode too,
1: actually full like confessional here. It was the time of my life. Like I oh. knew he was really stressed and I feel kind of bad as a licensed therapist sitting here saying that while he was like having the worst day of his life I was having the best day of mine but <laughs> it was so glorious and the views were just so breathtaking that I was yeah. like ah you know I need you to calm down because I'm really enjoying this you know. So <laughs> truth be told You're ruining my
0: vacation. Yes,
1: yeah, you're yeah. ruining everything. Uh, I wasn't the most supportive wife in that situation. But uh, we all survived. We got safely up and down the mountain. And I'm just trying to figure out how to get them to go back.
0: And we're here to tell you all about it. So very nice. (laughs) All right. Let's move into now a little bit more of a difficult conversation with things that can help. Let's start with music. I know that can be very calming, but I can also see from a teacher's perspective how that can be disruptive to class. If you have a student in there that's got headphones and specifically... Bluetooth ones that you can hide under a girl's hair or something else. Yeah, that gets a little touchy, but music can really calm you down.
1: It really can. And this, this has been a kind of a controversial thing. And as much as I know that, you know, music has the power to calm your mind and body. I was that parent that was like, you know, silence, we're doing homework and turn off your thing and no, you can't have your earbuds. And, you know, and, and the reality is that It works for a lot of people and I very Uh seldom work in a silent room. I usually have something on, you know, and so that why wouldn't kids need that as well? And I've seen some really amazing teachers that, you know, are able to kind of find some background noise in their classroom that's helpful. And sometimes they use it and sometimes they don't because it's not for everybody, but um, but it's helping kids to learn you know, what helps make them more productive. And my 14 year old has, has proven to me that she can focus better if she's got some kind of something going on. But again, like I, what you said about your AirPods and earbuds and things that are Bluetooth in the classroom, I get it. And there are some mm-hmm. schools that are saying, no, you can't have those because we, you, it's too easy to sneak them and then you're not listening and that's counterproductive. So I get that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But I, I also, you know, I think that there's times that we can make a case for music being a very helpful way to, to help a kid get through something challenging.
0: And I think something that we've brought to light in past episodes, and I think more of the society is too, is, is children are little humans. And I set at work and I either have music playing or I have an AirPod in with a podcast going. I've got noise somewhere. So why wouldn't be able to do that too? It's not going to yeah. work for everyone. And there's I have coworkers who – don't like that. They want silence. Mm -hmm. So you know what? You work better. You focus in silence. You be you, I'll be me, and we'll get our jobs done and and go. So it's just difficult when you have a classroom of 20 to 25 students, all Mm -hmm. with 20 to 25 different personalities and what works for some isn't going to work for others.
1: That's exactly right. And so I I think the key is to teach your kids to find what works for them, understand that it might not always be an option and that sometimes they are going to have to be flexible because it isn't just about them in a classroom, right? Mm -hmm right so related to airpods and headphones and listening to music and things like that what do you think about cell phones
0: That's oh gosh cell happening. phones is such a how much time do we have left on this episode because <laughs> um you know in my former career at the tv station they called me in the newsroom Switzerland because i would never make a decision i would always see both sides of things and never come to a a definitive decision. And I'm kind of that way with cell phones because I get it. I live with cell phones and iPads and it's like, turn them off because it's disruptive. It's annoying. Um, Sometimes I refer to them as a brain eating amoeba when I take it away from my daughter. And I see in a classroom how distracting that can be a student texting or a student listening to music, a student doing anything other than paying attention. But I've also seen since we got my son one, how much it helps him, Deal with his anxiety. If we're out in public, and he can say to us, "I'm feeling anxious," or whatever, or he'll just pull it out and and start watching videos on YouTube, and that's (laughs) when I know I'm like, he just needs that time to kind of get away and re re regulate himself, and he'll come back. So, in true Chad Switzerland Douglas form, I'm I'm on the fence. I see both sides of it, and I Mm -hmm. I wish I had an answer. Um, I do know we mentioned my son's going into junior high. Cell phones are not allowed in the classroom. They, they are to be kept in the locker or they'll be confiscated. So we've told him that. He understands that. But that's also – that's his Linus security blanket. And there's been times where one of the reasons we got it for him was if he's away from us, that makes him feel safe because that's a connection to mom and dad. He can text us at any time. So stay tuned on how that's going to go once mm-hmm. he gets in school.
1: And and I'm with you because I see the good and the bad. I mean, I, I think these phones are rotting our brains away for sure, adults and kids alike. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I also, there are a lot of benefits. I like knowing that, you know, I can check on my kids throughout the day and get an immediate response. I, I like knowing that if something were to happen, they don't have to wait till somebody allows them to use an office phone or whatever, you know, pay phones back in the day when we had to make calls, you know, I know that they can get me and tell me right away if there's some kind of a situation. And I, I like, and this sounds kind of stalkery, but as a parent, like I reserve the right to be like a little bit that way. Um, I love that I I track my kids' whereabouts. I love that, Mm -hmm. you know, if they're taking a walk with their friend, I can see on the app just exactly where they are physically. Like there's just some comfort that comes with it, but, but they do Absolutely also bring harm in. And so I definitely think, you know, yeah. it has to be up to the schools and the classrooms and the teachers, and we have to follow the rules, but I think we use it where we can, you know, and there's places where phones and devices like that are absolutely a great tool.
0: Yeah. It's, it's tricky. Cause I, you know, I have friends that are teachers, I have family that are in education and, and it's, I get it. I get it. I get it. Mm-hmm. Ugh. <laughs> um, something else that's interesting to me, cause I've seen it work. And I can say, uh, you you know, being a little judgmental here, I've, I've seen it in my head, how this works, but hoodies, you know, you see somebody in a hoodie and you automatically draw a conclusion. (laughs) Then we get a diagnosis of anxiety and my son's wearing hoodies all the time. And we learn through therapy that the hood is a way for him to hide in a social situation with social anxiety. It's a way for him to kind of just shut off and be again, like a security blanket for him. And we're going into a school that does not allow hoods to be up. You can wear a hoodie, but you can't put it on your head. Mm-hmm. That one, I don't think I get as much as the cell phone um, other than it, it's, I think, perceived in, from society as being disrespectful. Yes. But when you walk a mile in the shoes of an anxious kiddo, I get that. And mm-hmm. I just, I don't understand why that can't be allowed.
1: And I, and I would say, again, I, I echo your, your concerns with that because on the one hand, I get it. That, that Like if you've got a kid who's slinking down in their chair and their hoodie's over their eyes and they're not looking up like they're not probably learning a great deal. They're certainly not showing respect and and developing the social skills that they need. And so that can be a problem. But I also think it can be, you know, a super simple, like self maintaining skill to kind of help you navigate a tough moment. And if, you know, like when little kids, you put sunglasses on and they're like, you can't see me, you know, and that's like, yeah, like, it's that kind of a concept. And and we know that everybody can still see them and it doesn't actually protect them. But if it feels safer, they're going to behave as if it's safer. And that right. is important. So, and I think that's one of those where you would have to communicate effectively with your school, with your teacher, with guidance counselors, whoever's involved, and just kind of see, are there moments where that would be allowed? Is there a version of that that, that would be okay? Because I've heard other kids say that that mm-hmm. that's really important to them. I've met kids too that they they grow their hair in a certain way so that their hair will cover their eyes and yeah. you know it drives moms and grandmas crazy like get the hair cut I can't see those eyes. Well, it's intentional on the child's part because they don't want anyone to see them. And by covering their face, they feel like they're protecting themselves from the outside world. And so it's not about disrespect for these kids. Yeah. It's it's about self-protection.
0: But it's a perception of disrespect. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's a, the other thing. Again, old career of TV guy, I learned real quickly how important it is to walk in other people's shoes. And we would do stuff that's like, you know, let me do your job for a day. And you're kind of like, wow, interesting. I've never been a teacher. I've never been inside a class. Well, I volunteer, but I've never been on that aspect. And so I don't see that side of things. I've never walked in that shoe, so to speak. Um, So interesting to talk. And we're actually going to talk. We've got a part two episode um, of this. We're going to talk to someone in education who's going to kind of give us their perspective of some of these things like hoods and cell phones and even change of scenery and just different things that work because I have firsthand seen them work as a parent and I know you have too as a parent as an mm-hmm. anxious kiddo and as a therapist it's mm-hmm. you've seen it work but we're going to get to the the point where it's like yeah but this is why it doesn't work
1: so Chad, there's probably a million different ways that people calm themselves down with their upset that, that they would, don't even know that they're doing you know like babies mm. start to self soothe from almost from birth i mean probably in the womb you know and so there's things that are there that we're doing that are helping to calm us that we wouldn't even know how to describe or share with others and so Part of I think the challenge is really just working with your child, paying attention to what they do when they're upset, paying attention to what works and talking with them about what works. You know, ask them when they feel the most safe. Ask them what strategies they use when you're not around. Those kinds of things can go a long way towards helping find a good plan for your
0: kid. All right. Our next episode, as we mentioned, is going to be a part two of this one. We're going to talk to an educator in episode 29 about how it's perceived uh, from the education standpoint and why certain things aren't allowed and how if it's not allowed in the rules, maybe you can have it work for your child. We appreciate you listening and sharing this uh, episode and sharing any of our episodes of the Scrambled Podcast with those who you think can benefit from it. Our goal in starting this was to start the conversation and that conversation continues with you.